Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rusty Quill presents. Hey guys, Alex Etalander here. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons who support us through our website or through Patreon. You help to keep Austin ad free and it means so much to us. Plus, I'd really much prefer to never have to record a single ad for Squarespace or Blue Apron. <laughs> and definitely not for MeUndies. We've actually got some support goals on our Patreon page right now that, if we achieve, will get you Austin Season 3 that much quicker. That way you won't have to ask how long the wait is once Season 2 ends. So check it out at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. Or if you'd prefer to support us through our website, go to ostiumpodcast.com slash support. Okay, time for episode 12, Cultum Ostium.
I can't fucking believe him. Goddamn Jake. God damn it, Jake. He told that guy about Ostium. Everything. What the fuck? Then he told him where the hell it is. And he fucking found it. He even talked about how there's fucking music written to his recordings now. And even goddamn merchandise. Unfucking believable. Fortunately, because of the whole untethering thing, it's a different Ostium. Somehow. Don't, I don't really get that. At least not now. Not at the moment. But it works in this case. For now. I just... I just don't get what possessed his tiny little mind. <sighs> okay, Monica. Let's keep it together here. Let's get something out of this. Make some fucking catharsis happen. I need it after today. Okay, so... Dear Diary, I'm talking to you and recording it because I need a saner voice to talk to and listen to. So Jake's probably going to spin it as something we discussed and came to a consensus on, but I pretty much just told his ass how it's going to be. What with Ostium being somehow linked with Jake, which I still totally don't get. But every door we go through, there's just more proof. It can't be denied. So from now on, I said, Jake can do what the fuck he wants with his recordings going over our daily trips through the doors. It's all tied to him, and he's the one who always seems to know way too much about what's going on, while little old me is left in the dark. Yeah, right. I don't know everything. Not at all. But I know some things. Some very important things. So I told Jake he can just go ahead and do his thing. We don't need to take turns like he suggested, even though it was kind of nice of him to offer. He can use his big fancy vocab and go wild. I said I wouldn't be doing any recordings. <laughs> and here I am, doing a recording. But that's because I got a reason. That catharsis thing. In Ostium, I've only got one other guy to talk to, and I can't really trust him anymore. Not with what I know. But I still gotta bounce ideas off of someone... Or something. Somehow. So I'll do these recordings when Jake's not around, or sleeping like he is now. I need to do these recordings because I can't lose my shit. Not over Jake, and not in front of Jake, because he's the fucking key to all of this. It's why I made up that whole recording originally. I... I need to show I'm together in front of him. Because without him, I can't get through those doors. Not on my own. And I need to. I need to. To find Steve. I know he's alive. I know he's still out there. Somewhere. On the other side of one of those doors. I heard him. His voice. He said my name. He knows I'm here looking for him. So he knows he's got to do whatever he needs to. To keep going. To stay alive, so I can find him and get him back. I know I can do it. And I know he knows I can do it. I gotta believe in myself. Another reason I need these recordings. For me. Jake's never gonna hear them. No one else is. Well, maybe Steve. One day. When I eventually find him, I might let him hear what I went through. How I never gave up. 
It's important for me to... No, no, no. no. What is that? Is that Jake? No, no, no. Is he still asleep? Please stop. I think he's having a nightmare. No. I guess I better go rescue his ass yet again. No. So he still thinks I'm on his side. stop. I open my eyes and immediately feel Monica's hand on my shoulders. She's shaking me. Normally having Monica be this close, touching me, would make my day, but these aren't normal times. She explains I was having a nightmare, crying out in my sleep like some little kid. She doesn't say this, she's not that cruel, but my brain is automatically completing the sentence, filling in my inadequacies. It makes me feel less than awesome. I let her know I appreciate the attention and help, looking directly into her eyes. I haven't forgotten that kiss and won't be anytime soon. She goes into the kitchen to make some tea and prepare some breakfast, telling me from afar that I'd been mumbling about tsunamis and Ebola. Seeing those clones and what was on those screens has done a number on me. It's done a number on her, too. She's actually surprised it's not me waking her up in the middle of a nightmare. It makes me smile, but inside I know this is just something said to placate my nerves. And it's working. A little bit. But those weren't clones of Monica. I was the intended viewer of those screens. I was the focus of that whole door. That Ostium had created. For me. After a wholesome breakfast, we're in the map room, staring at that woodwork of art. I still can't really believe there was a crack in it just yesterday, right down the middle, as if someone had taken a giant serrated axe to it a few times. And now, it's miraculously repaired. Healed. Like a wound. A wound that won't hurt anymore. I guess in time we'll see. But getting back to the map table, it's different. Again. As we noticed before, the numbers have changed. It's even more random now, if that's possible. The lowest number is 12. The highest is... What the fuck? 401? It just doesn't make any sense. And from the look on Monica's face, she's the same sentiment. Not that it really did before, but we were on a roll, sort of a numerical roll, if you will, until the whole earthquake thing and then the infinity symbol. And now it gives a whole new meaning to the term random. So what the hell are we going to do now? I asked Monica this question, but her looks are continuing to mirror mine and it would just be redundant. Or she'd make a snide comment that would make me laugh. Okay, coulda, woulda, shoulda. What the hell are we going to do now? Follow me. That's what I tell Monica. And the look she gives me is something to the effect of, what the fuck did you just tell me to do? I immediately apologize and follow it up with, please, I have an idea. That's enough to convince us and we're on our way. Outside the clock tower, it's another beautiful sunny day in the quaint town of Ostium. Well, at least to the extent of a town that's untethered and aimlessly drifting through space and time. So, darkness all around, pretty much. And it's then that I realize the conundrum. Or is that the new paradox of Ostium? There's no big shining ball in the sky to give Ostium light. 
nor is there some lunar orb having sunlight reflecting off of it and casting a cold whiteness over everything. But somehow, there's still light in Ostium. Somehow. There are no street lights or anything of that sort, and yet I'm standing outside and it's bright and clear as day. And I can still see the blackness out there. But that's not helping me focus, which is what I need right now. I asked Monica to bear with me. I close my eyes and put my fingers on my temples, applying a little pressure. Yep, part of me goes way back to that Starbucks parking lot when I was first trying to find Ostium. It was sense, that strange ability that suddenly possessed me, which I'm attempting to channel now. I've already tried the mental infrared Ostium map, but no numbers, no doors are lighting up telling me where to go. I'm on my own. But then, Ostium never liked making things easy, did it? And there it is, a slight mental tugging, like someone had just flicked my pineal gland. Okay, granted, that's a little weird, but you get the idea. Like before, I open my eyes and see a building before me with a door. And that door is the number 24. But it's not our next door. I start walking down a street and Monica follows. She can tell the quasi-trance state I'm in. She probably doesn't understand it just like I don't, but she's going along with it. A quick tangent here. You may have noticed me pretty much doing this recording solo, telling you what Monica said rather than actually hearing her. Monica and I talked about it, and we decided that I'd be doing the recordings from now on due to my mysterious and... Um, undeniable connection to Ostium. I'm starting to feel like there's this invisible umbilical between me and this town. Whether it's attached to my belly button, or head, or heart, I don't know. But long, winding, directionless story short, I'm going to be the lead and main and pretty much only reporter on the Ostium scene. Monica wants to take a step back, remove herself from the recordings. She feels she has little to offer, which I disagree with, but uh, I'll respect her wishes. I think she might just need some space. This is her way of creating some distance between herself and Ostium, and possibly me too. Maybe she'll do her own private recordings as a sort of ongoing diary thing. I don't know. She said she's not going to, but doing this might also help me, or us, to understand what's going on with Ostium and why I'm particularly connected with it since it's just me running the show now, so to speak. <laughs> Basically, Jake's special. He doesn't know why, and uh, maybe having Jake being the main reporter, recorder, and chronicler will help solve this somehow. I don't know. We'll see. Now, on with the regularly televised episode of The Ostium Show. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. The door I stop at on one of the streets of Ostium is number 45. Nothing apparently significant about this door and this number except that my ostium sense is telling me that this is where the next part of our journey through the doors of ostium begins. I tell Monica this, and she nods. I then say, ladies first. No fucking way. I laugh and turn the handle and push open the door and step into darkness, like always. It stays dark for a while, and just when I start to wonder if I've gone blind, light starts to filter in as my eyes acclimate to the enclosed space. We're surrounded by rock, on all sides it seems. I turn around slowly to find Monica doing the same thing, and we both see the source of the light at the same time. We're in a long cave made of rock. Monica starts heading toward the light, and I follow, wondering if we're going to find some version of an afterlife on the other side. Well, if this is the afterlife, then sign me up. Big, beautiful landscape. Trees and rock formations and grassland and a giant open blue sky with a 
big shining sun casting a comforting heat. Feels glorious. I didn't realize how much I'd missed the sun until I saw it again. My brain starts considering if I'm going to be getting my recommended daily dose of vitamin D via solar exposure and osteum now that it lacks a star, but I ignore it. It's a very minor concern at this point. <laughs> Thanks once again, brain. It's absolutely gorgeous here. Paradise. I'm in total agreement, but I follow up with how this isn't what we're here for, as beautiful as it all is. I can sense where the artifact for this door is located, and it's not anywhere outside. It's back in the cave, I tell her. She's not too happy. <laughs> I'm not either. I'd much rather soak up the sun and enjoy the outside. But Ostium has other ideas. She asks about the blackness. I tell her I'm keeping it at bay. For the moment. I lead the way back into the cave, and... We've soon passed the open door leading back to Ostium. On this side, the door is more like a fake piece of rock that is detached and swung open from the wall. No visible hinges or attachments, just kind of hanging there, open. It's pretty cool. As we continue into the cave, the light dims a little, but not too much. So we can still see just fine. That initial darkness was more about our eyes getting used to this lower light environment. I look around, searching for any items, any artifacts, trying to get a sense of what this place is, why we're here, and what significance it has with me. I'm coming through this door and into this place with a whole new paradigm this time, if you will. I know it's going to have something to do with Ostium and with me. I know there's going to be a connection, and it changes my whole approach. It's kind of like when archaeologists and paleontologists and anthropologists are doing their thing, digging up old bones and whatnot. Of course, if you're digging up a bone, chances are it's pretty old, unless it's something your dog buried a few hours ago. But uh, anyway, when scientists start digging in the ground, everything's striated, meaning it's all about layers, and the deeper you dig, the older the stuff gets. So at certain levels, archaeologists expect to find fossils and artifacts from a specific period or a range of time. Uh, where is that going with this? Oh yeah. But a year or two ago, scientists tried a whole new approach when starting a dig, basically being more open-minded to what they were looking for. So instead of thinking that they were going to find, say, fossils of Homo erectus and only that, they were looking for anything that might have something to do with fossils and, in so doing, discovered more artifacts and bits of fossils and pieces of whatever they wouldn't have necessarily noticed if their focus had just been on finding Homo erectus bones. I'm sure there's some mathematical statistics and probability that can be used and applied to reveal how you're going to find more useful stuff, even if it's not useful stuff you were originally planning to find, if you apply this method. Bringing this very long, off-topic monologue back to Ostium, Sorry, I didn't mean to go on for that long, but there is a point, trust me. So, just as these scientists applied a new paradigm to their archaeological dig, I'm applying a new approach to going through a door in Ostium and its inevitable connection to me. And now that I've talked for way too long about archaeology and bones, I'm thinking there's a significance to my brain dredging it up and being in this place. Excavating the resonance, if you will. This is a cave, after all, and 
What do you sometimes find in caves? Bones. Yep. Now that I'm thinking about it, this definitely has a fossil feel to it. <laughs> Come on. I haven't made with the wisecracks in, well, at least five minutes. And uh, that's when I see the first skull. It's like it's staring right at me. Well, I guess it technically is. And if it still had eyes and muscles and skin and a face, the person would probably be looking at me and have some sort of reaction. But it's bone white, obviously, and long dead. I hold out my arm to stop Monica, and she soon sees what my gaze is fixed upon. The cave tunnel is opened up into a sort of alcove. It's hard to see anything, but I just get the sense of more space now. Our breathing is more... echoey. The skull appears to be sitting on some sort of pedestal. It seems big, almost abnormally large. I think Neanderthal. But... It seems almost bigger than that. Also, I'm not exactly able to recognize a Neanderthal skull as soon as I see one. Below, it looks to be a dark hole. Monica shoots me a what-the-fuck look in a way that only Monica can. I shrug my shoulders. I don't know exactly what it is and what the deal is with this setup. And then in the far back of my mind, I feel a twinge of something. Just like I felt when I was on Roanoke and the Mary Celeste. And this time, I'm not going to ignore it. Something is pinging with me. I've picked up on something and it's connected with a memory of mine in some way. So, what is it? What's special about this place? There's not a lot of light in here, so I take out my phone and I turn on the flashlight. Good idea. Monica says quickly doing the same with her phone and soon this end of the cave is basked in an impressive amount of light holy shit Monica just covers her mouth the skull in front of us wasn't the only one there were rows of them along the wall each with their own intricately carved pedestal skulls are all different too minute variations in shape and size but all clearly human all of a sudden, it feels like a crowded room. A crowded room of the dead. And I know what this place is, where we are. Monica recognizes the look on my face, understanding. Fucking enlighten me, Mr. Fisher. And I tell her that we are in a cave of a skull cult. The cave was discovered five years ago in South Africa, about three hours northwest of Johannesburg by prospectors looking for potential places to mine raw materials. They started digging and then found this opening to a long cave. It was pretty much all filled in, so they notified the authorities who notified a bunch of different people. Less than a year later, an archaeology group from Germany arrived and began excavating. The first six months were spent getting rid of dirt and sand and rock to clear out the cave. Some of it was attributed to the passage of time with weather, rock slides, animals, but not all of it. The archaeologists worked out for that amount of material to be inside the cave. At some point, someone, or more likely a significant group of someones, chose to fill it in and hide the cave from the rest of the world. 
And this was before they found any bones, before they got to the skulls. After a year, they made it to the alcove that they eventually dubbed the anteroom. You'll find out why when I get to that part. That's when they found the first skull. Then the next one. And the next one. And they kept going. Eventually, the anteroom was completely excavated, and they found 45 of them. You're shitting me. No, I shit you not. There are 22 skulls on each wall. Each skull bears a unique identifying mark, a perfect hole about the size of a quarter carved into the top of the skull, perfectly round. The skulls were eventually dated to between 28,000 and 30,000 years old. They don't know how those holes were drilled into the skulls and made to look so perfect. As for the layout of the skulls, there are four rows on each side, the top two rows with five skulls, the bottom two rows with six skulls done in a sort of wide pyramidal shape. Number 45 is... The one sitting above that hole. Bingo. Where does the hole lead? Let me tell you the rest of the story. The hole isn't very big, which is pretty clear. The hole obviously leads somewhere, but it took a while first for the archaeologists to decide what they were going to do, and then to get volunteers who were small enough to crawl through the hole. They sent out this hilarious request for grad students with a specific height restriction that would be required, and then they had a bunch of applications, and then about two-thirds dropped out once they talked with the archaeologists about what they were going to have to do. A group of 15 grad students made it to the dig. Once they saw the hole, 10 of them refused to go, and they headed back to Johannesburg. What it must have been like for those five people to venture into the unknown and enclosed like that. Talk about your Indiana Jones adventures. The hole is actually a small tunnel that leads for over 30 feet. It took two years of digging and excavating, but eventually they made it to the other side. It led to a small room, just five feet high. You couldn't stand up in it, but had to crawl. Another year of painstaking excavation. Grad students left, others came from all over the world. Eventually, they had the room clear. There was a stone pedestal in the center of the tiny room with strange cuts and hatchings that might have been some primitive language or writing or pictography. No one really knows. No one's ever seen anything like this. On the pedestal, there was a single skull. It was twice the size of a normal skull. And it was human. They had no clue what the hell it was. At some point in your life, whether you wanted to or not, you've probably seen a horse's skull or a cow's skull, especially when you went through that hipster phase and wanted to do some interior decorating. That's about the size of this skull, but it had all the expected features of the Homo genus. No one, of course, believed it at first. Who would? It was just a handful of grad students squeezing through that very small tunnel. They took photos, which were astounding and still disbelieved. More photos were taken. Eventually, a camera was set up, as well as lighting for absolute proof. Bone samples were taken and tested. It matched the rest of the skulls. It was human. And on top of it, there was another perfectly carved hole. More time passed. The bones, the caves, the dig was scrutinized and studied by many, but nothing equitable. 
had ever been found. The reason the Rosetta Stone is so important is because it has the same message in three languages. It's like a three-language dictionary. This cave and its skulls were unique. They are unique. The carved holes are also unique and mysterious. What do they mean? At the very least, they seem to imply some sort of ritualistic intent, and thus the dig and its skull inhabitants have been dubbed the Skull Cult. Not officially, more colloquially. But it caught on. Sort of. With those in the science who believed. There were plenty of naysayers who called it an aberration, outlier. Something they really didn't want to become a big deal, because it didn't really cast the well-respected and long-standing field of archaeology in a favorable light. That's why it's not so widely known. But I know about it, because I have an interest in it in all things anthropological and archaeological. Well, not all things, but many things. I know more than most about Australopithecines, Denisovans, Naledi, and a number of other hominids. You know, just one of my hobbies. It became an obsession, as it does. The look on Monica's face is not one I expected, but once I consider it, it makes sense. I came through this door more open-minded about Ostium than I've ever been before, more willing to accept my connection to it, and it helped. I didn't tell Monica anything about this, but perhaps she's just picked up on it in some way, maybe from my body language or my facial expressions. Either way, she's not shocked. Well, she was when I told her about the giant skull. Really shocked, in fact. But that's to be expected, that I'm able to give her a ten-minute lecture on this place. She's uh, accepting, as am I. This is a good thing. I think it's a move in a healthy direction for Ostium, and for me, and for Monica. And because Ostium's a bitch, the artifact is through that tiny hole that you can just barely fit through, right? I don't bother answering. She knows. I just give her one of my award-winning shit-eating grins. I don't actually know if I can fit through it. My heart started doing a little dance as I prepare myself to climb through. I don't remember exactly what the height requirements were for the grad students to be able to climb through the tunnel, but I'm pretty sure I'm too big. But a part of me also knows that this isn't really a special archaeological site from who knows when about a skull cult. It's something Ostium made. It's something Ostium made for me. When I start crawling into the tunnel, I see it's going to be a real tight fit. But I also know I can make it. I slowly start inching my way along with Monica giving me encouragement. It takes a while, but I eventually make it out the other side, like a Nerf bullet from a Nerf barrel of a Nerf gun. And there's the skull sitting on that pedestal. I can't help but think of that scene from Conan the Barbarian when he finds the skeleton with the sword. You know, I'm just going to stop there. If you're really curious, you can rent the movie from Blockbuster. Well, I mean, watch it on Netflix. Dated myself a little there. It's huge and so unnatural looking. Like something from a movie about aliens. It's downright creepy. I walk up to it. And in the top, I can see the perfectly round hole. Now, because the skull is twice as big as a normal human skull, the hole is 
twice as large, but this particular hole still seems too large. Maybe it's more ostium-sized. I'm not surprised when I reach out with my hand and I'm just barely able to fit into the hole. I reach down and feel for something. I find it. It's hard. I pull it out and open my hand. It's a tiny skull, like something for El Dia de los Muertos. Or one of those knick-knack keychain skulls. Of course, in the top of it is a tiny hole. Does this little skull have an even tinier skull within it? Does Ostium have an actual sense of humor? I shake it. There's something minuscule rattling inside. Make that mini-somethings, because those skulls go all the way down, baby. <laughs> That's just fucking hilarious. It takes me less time to make it back through the tiny hole. I show Monica the latest addition for the map table. She's just as amused as I am. When I make it rattle, she bursts out laughing, making me laugh too. It's been a while since we both did that. Feels good. We make our way back to the door. She steps through first. I follow and stop just before passing through. I take a look back at the humble abode of the skull cult. It's still really gnarly that we came through the door and ended up here. And I'll probably never see it again. Ever. Too bad. I step through, closing the door behind me. Back at the clock tower, standing before the map table, we're ready. Four of the golden numbers are gone. One is still there. Two through five are gone. I hold the skull in my hand, feeling it warming up. I shake it, hear the rattling, like I'm getting ready to toss a die. I look underneath the skull suddenly and I see the number 45. Go figure. Then I place it on the corresponding number. This time, a vibrant blue light engulfs the artifact, just as blinding as the white light was. It's over in seconds, the afterimages singed on our retinas. The number 45 is now a rich, ruby-red color, not gold. Okay, then. The map table has moved on from gold to technicolor. This episode was written and produced by Alexi Talander. The voice of Jake is performed by Chris Fletcher. The voice of Monica is performed by Georgia McKenzie. All the music was composed by Chris Fletcher. Graphic design and artwork is done by Sarah Warren. Austin will continue to be ad-free thanks to our great and wonderful patrons who support the show through our website at ostium.com support or through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. Why not consider becoming a supporter of our show? For as little as $2 a month, you can get access to exclusive mini-episodes, including something called The Ostium Files. It's a series playing around with the idea of what if you could go through an Ostium door to the time and place of your choosing? Where would you go? There are also lots of other rewards like episode transcripts with illustrations, music, and special early access to new episodes of Ostium. 
Plus, if we hit our support goals, you'll get access to Ostium Season 3 that much sooner. And if we hit our top goal, Season 3 will start right after Season 2 without any break. So check it out at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. Whatever you can spare will be greatly appreciated and means so much to us. You can also support Ostium by leaving us a review on the podcast listening app of your choice, or simply by telling your friends, or mentioning how much you enjoy this podcast on social media. And of course, there's also our merchandise store with a whole variety of goodies like mugs, t-shirts, and even fancy pillowcases, all at ostiumpodcast.com store. Also, if you're looking for a good book to read, Ostium Book One Population Zero is out now on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and a fancy full-color illustrated edition. This week's podcast recommendation is Marsfall. Marsfall is a new science fiction series that follows the first colonists settling on the planet Mars. Led by their fearless commander, Jackie Orania, and assisted by the Colonial Artificial Intelligence Unit, Andy. Our colonists strive to make a home on the Red Planet while exploring its deeper mysteries. The recording values are great with this show. The characters feel real and believable, each with their own quirks and failings. Living on such a harsh planet is not easy in any way, and the show does a great job of showing this. But it's also well balanced with humor, mostly thanks to Andy, the quirky AI. Be sure to check it out. Finally, thanks for listening. Without you, there wouldn't be any point in doing this podcast. So thank you, and see you in two weeks with episode 13, Angie Cooney.